How is everybody doing? I didn't get a chance to see pretty much anybody, maybe just a few of you, but how's everybody doing? By, by a round of applause, how is everybody doing? All right, all right. I think we're okay. I'm doing good, if anybody cared. I'm all right, I'm all right. Nobody, nobody asked. Anyway, welcome everybody. So, we are now in the final message in this series that we've been going through for the past three months. The series has been entitled Exemplary, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at 1 Timothy 4.12 that says, uh, do not let no one despise your youth. Instead, be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in faith, in love, and in purity. And so this is the final night. Um, so if, if you haven't been here, and even if you have, I just kind of wanted to go through, uh, you know, the, the weeks, just kind of as a review as we enter into this final message. So our first week, we, we talked about speech. When we discussed exemplary speech, we talked about how our words expose what's really going on inside of us. Uh, a bad tree can't produce good fruit, and a good tree can't produce bad fruit. And the words that come out of our mouths are the fruit of our lives. And the words that come out of our mouths are the things that actually fill our hearts. You know, the natural production of our hearts are the words that come out of our mouths. So if your words are full of inappropriate references, immoral humor, mean-spirited attacks, that's actually what fills your heart. Uh, but if you are in Christ, that shouldn't be the case. So if you claim to know Christ, uh, yet those are the words that flow from your heart, uh, you either don't actually know Christ or you've ignored your walk with Christ uh, for so long that the indwelling sin has kind of taken over your heart. In either scenario, either way, you need to repent and confess your sin, be cleansed. First uh, John 1 John 1.9 says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And in order for us to be an example to the believers in our speech, uh, we need to have speech that edifies, speech that is thankful, speech that builds up. And I shared some Bible verses regarding speech that I think are, are worth sharing again. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away anger. That's a good one but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Proverbs 17, 28 says, even if, this is, this is my favorite, this is my favorite. Even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent, discerning when he seals his lips. So, like this is amazing for all of us here who are like really foolish with our words. Like just every time we open our mouths, we, we put our foot in it. It says that even a fool is considered wise when he keeps silent. So just don't say anything, just keep quiet while other people are talking, and then people are going to be like, man, this guy's like really wise. Like, no, it's only because I haven't spoken long enough for you to hear how dumb I am. Anyway, that's a good one. Proverbs 10.19, it says, when, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. So if you're a rambler, you know, it's just a matter of time before something comes out that I probably shouldn't have said. So that was speech, and then the week following, we looked at conduct. And in our studies in exemplary conduct, we talked about the driving force behind our conduct, the motivation for our conduct, 
and that it needs to be God and his glory. We discussed Joseph and how he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he was later reunited with them uh, when they unknowingly came uh, begging for food from him during a famine. He forgave them, Joseph did. He forgave his brothers, he blessed them, he moved all his family out to Egypt so they can you know, be cared for by the success that he was having in Egypt. But Joseph's driving force was God and his glory. And Joseph's conduct towards his brothers who sold him into slavery uh, was an amazing example of exemplary conduct. And then we discussed the guideposts. We discussed this idea of guideposts. God has provided us with guideposts where, you know, there's a boundary. We don't cross the line into sin, but whatever's within these boundaries, just go nuts and have fun in there. And the, the guideposts that he provided us with were the Ten Commandments. Now, these commandments, they don't save you. We're saved by grace through faith, but these commandments, they do provide you with a safe space. I hear that's a thing. Safe space to behave and to act and to just behave freely in there. So our conduct should be one that reflects God's lordship over our lives, one that is honoring to our parents, one that doesn't steal or lie or behave hatefully, one that is sexually pure, one that is confident in God's provision. That's exemplary conduct. And we concluded in that, in that study that we need to be people who are actually doing these things. We need to be doers of the word and not just hearers of the word. Because uh, if we're just hearers of the word, we're just deluding ourselves. Then we went over love. In our exemplary love studies, we went to 1 Corinthians 13, and we saw what, what love is, what, what does love mean. And we looked at some examples of these definitions. We talked about how important it is to start with love. If love isn't your motivator, uh, then it's all pointless. It's all for nothing. It, you really don't gain anything. And we talked about how showing love in this way, showing exemplary love, uh, it may cause you to be taken advantage of. And, but that's better. It's better to suffer for doing good than it is to suffer for doing evil. That's something that we learned. And we talked about how this love that we have for each other, the love that we should have for each other as the body of Christ, this love should transition into service for the body. Love for the body should transition into service for the body. And, you know, I put out the, the invitation to everybody to start serving, whether here on Friday nights or on Sundays or on Thursdays, whenever we have a service here, I put out the call if anybody wants to start serving. And a lot of you guys answered, dude, that was awesome. Did I just call you guys, dude? <laughs> My bad. Anyway, uh, but this will only benefit, if you serve, this will only benefit, not only will it benefit others, but it also benefits you because you, you get to know more people, you get to explore what your gifts are, what your talents are, because as I stated, uh, I started my, my Christian service, I started on a soundboard back in my old church, which led me all these years later to this spot right here. Soundboard has nothing to do with preaching, but I started serving and was exploring my gifts, and that's what happened. And then we talked about faith, exemplary faith. That was the last two weeks. It's the most recent topic, and we went through Hebrews chapter 11, which is known as the Hall of Faith. And we talked about having faith that believes in God's salvation and continued salvation as we make a lifelong commitment to repent and believe and repent and believe and just do that over and over and over again until we're at home with the Lord. And we also we're reminded when we went through exemplary faith that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely no condemnation. You, as a Christian, 
can look at your sin and say, you plan to tempt me, but your scam is empty. Because even if I do fall, you can't condemn me. We went over that. So there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And we talked about faith and obedience, having the faith to do what God has told you to do or told, what he's told you to say, and just knowing that God will produce the result, even if you don't see it right away. Thank you. We talked about faith in miracles, and that even if your faith is lacking right now, that you need to supplement your faith with the word and with fellowship so that it can develop into a faith that will believe in miracles whenever you're faced with stuff like that. Last week, it was a little, little darker, a little harder, uh, you know, we talked about faith in loss, that we need to maintain our faith even through the losses of life because God wants to do something through those losses. We talked about faith in suffering, uh, and that we need to endure the suffering as the discipline of God, endure the suffering as the discipline of God because that's what it is. And it's happening because God is using that as a way to infuse more of his holiness into your life. And then we finally talked about faith in unanswered prayer, which ultimately concluded this, that exemplary faith topic because it led us to the understanding that we need to have the, the wisdom, the maturity, and the strength to step outside of ourselves as God is working in our lives through these horrible things that we experience sometimes. We need to have the maturity, wisdom, and strength to know and understand that our present and sometimes horrible circumstances are more than what we see. God is working, and we need to have the exemplary faith through all of our circumstances so that we can get out of God's way. We need to get out of his way so he can accomplish his will for his glory and our benefit. So in all of our discussions of 1 Timothy 4.12, we also had 1 Corinthians 13.11 as our accompanying verse, which says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, or when I became mature, I put aside childish things. So not, not only have we been pushing ourselves to be examples to the believers through this series, uh, but we've also been pushing ourselves to maturity, to grow up in our faith through this series. So that's been our discussion for the past three months. Now let's conclude our series by talking about exemplary purity as we explore our two jam-packed points. Uh, so we have our first point is purity in doctrine, and our second point is purity in life. But before we do, let's pray. God, thank you for bringing everybody out here Everyone who's here, God, you, you, you want them here. You want them here for a reason. And I pray, God, that you would help me to just get out of your way so that you can speak to your children. I pray that you would change us, that you would make us different, that we would walk out of this place different than how we came in. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so purity and doctrine. So we're going to look at two scriptures to start off that are going to be in the Old Testament that highlight God's command for purity. So first we're going to be in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19. And for those of you with the digital Bible, I read out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. So if you want to follow along with the wording, 
otherwise Leviticus 19. And it's just going to be a couple of verses. Leviticus 19, verse 19. It says, You are to keep my statutes. You must not crossbreed two different kinds of your livestock. Sow your fields with two kinds of seed, or put on a garment made of two kinds of material. So don't breed a cow with a goat. Don't plant figs with wheat. And don't, you know, just stick to 100% cotton clothing, basically. Don't mix stuff. Keep things pure, is what God is saying. And this is reiterated in the next scripture that we're going to go to, which is Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. And we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Do not plant your vineyard with two types of seed. Otherwise, the entire harvest, both the crop you plant and the produce of the vineyard, will be defiled. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Do not wear clothes made of both wool and linen. So there we go. In these two verses that we just read, uh, we find the importance of just basic and simple purity, not mixing things. As we've discussed in previous weeks, uh, many things that we read in the Old Testament uh, were types and representations uh, that would be revealed in the New Testament. As the saying goes, the New Testament is hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament is revealed in the New. And this kind of language uh, of these not mixing and remaining pure it's reiterated in the New Testament, and we'll go over those verses a little later. But I wanted to discuss the importance of having exemplary purity as it pertains to your doctrine, okay? When I say doctrine, I mean the things that you believe about God. The things that you believe about God, your doctrine. And ultimately, everything that we believe about God ought to come from this book right here. Anything else that comes at us that claims to be pure doctrine, but is not found in this Bible, we must absolutely reject it. Just reject it, toss it out. There are many stories that have been told of people who, you know, they don't have anybody around them, or everybody around them, none of them are believers, but they find a Bible. They manage to find a Bible. They find a New Testament, or they find the Gospel of John. They find something and they start reading it. And the stories go that as they read the New Testament or the Gospel of John or something, they come to a faith in Jesus Christ. They come to a faith in Jesus Christ through the simple reading of the Bible. And this has happened apparently many times throughout history. What doesn't happen is people finding a Bible, they begin to read it, and then they come to faith in the Roman Catholic Church. What doesn't happen is they find a Bible, they read it, and they become a Jehovah's Witness. Or they read the Bible, and they become a Mormon. Or they read the Bible, and they become a Muslim. Or they read a Bible, and they become anything other than what the Bible would describe as a Christian. 
But that's exactly what this book points towards. It points towards a true and living faith in Jesus Christ, dying for our sins on the cross so that we could be saved from the penalty of our rebellion against God. All of those other religions, they need something extra added to the Bible to make it make sense. You need to be convinced from other sources that what these religions are saying is true. You don't get those facts just from reading the Bible. Whereas we are convinced by the Bible alone to tell us what we ought to believe. Now, these false religions, they have to mix in other things. They have to make the purity of the Bible impure so that their false beliefs will make sense. Now, follow me in this scenario. Let's say you're enjoying a nice barbecue. You got a bunch of people over. It's summertime. You've been in the sun all day. The sun is just beating down. One of those hot summer days. The days that I hate. It's just hot. I hate the heat so much. I was talking to Brenton about this, and I've talked to many people. The heat, side note, the heat, I hate the heat because I would rather be in like the cold, 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 because if it's cold, hey, put a jacket on. Oh, put another layer on. Get a couple layers on. Everything. You know, you can put stuff on to make yourself comfortable. But when you are in the heat, like Florida, humidity, 110% humidity, 100 degrees, you could be naked and still be disgustingly hot. Like there's no, like you, you need like AC. You need, it's just, it's dumb. I hate the heat. In the cold, just put something on and then you're good. But with the heat, it's just like there's no escaping it. It's ridiculous. Anyway, so anyway, you're, you're at a barbecue, sun's beating down on you. And you've been eating salty chips all day and hot dogs and, and carne asada, whatever, whatever you eat at a barbecue. And you're just, you're thirsty. You haven't drank anything all day, so you are so thirsty. So you go, you grab a cup of ice, put some water in there. It's looking amazing. The condensation is just coming down on the cup. And, you know, so you, you, set, the, you set the cup down on the table as you sit back down. And then you go to grab the cup, and as you're bringing it to your lips, boom, bird poops on your shoulder. And then you, you see that some of the bird poop splashed into your, into your cup of water. Like, you can't see it. Like, you, you can't physically see the poop swirling around. But you know a bird pooped on your shoulder, and right after the, the, the poop hit your shoulder, you saw a little splash that told you some of that poop went into my water. You can't see it. It's not, you, you can't really see it. If someone else saw it, they'd be like, oh, there's nothing wrong with that water. But you know it's there. Are you still going to drink that water? Anybody? That's nasty, Leone. It's just a little bit of poop. No. No, that, that, see, that doesn't even, I said that right now. That doesn't, it's just a little bit of poop. Like, that doesn't make sense. There's no such world where just a little bit of poop is okay in my water. No. Especially when you have perfectly good drinking water, you know, just, okay, toss that out and go get, refill. use a different cup, obviously. Don't use the same cup because it defeats the purpose. So, you know, go get some more water. Hopefully you wouldn't drink that glass of water unless you're, you're Leone because that'd be nasty. And there's, there's no amount of poop that I'm okay with that, that, that could be in my water. So just like we wouldn't dare consume that water even though it only has a small amount of poop. We shouldn't dare consume any teaching that has even just the smallest amount of false doctrine. No, get rid of it, toss it out. 
We need to have exemplary purity in doctrine so that we can make sure that we are feeding ourselves good things that are only adding to our life rather than being deceived. But this requires us to do our part. This requires us to do our part to know the scriptures ourselves. We can't rely on other people to tell us what we believe. We have to know it ourselves. So let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 9 through 11. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, so that you can approve the things that are superior and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul is saying that he prays for the people in Philippi, that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment. Not that their love would grow just for the sake of being more loving, but that their love would grow in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge that's found in the Bible. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Discernment is the ability to judge well, the ability to judge well, to be able to figure out if something is legit or not. So Paul is praying that their love would grow in knowledge of God and the ability to judge rightly. But why? For what purpose? Why is he praying that their love would grow in the knowledge of God and their ability to judge rightly? So that they can approve of the superior and correct thing, thereby making them pure and blameless when Christ comes back. Paul is praying that their love would grow in the knowledge of God, making them more able to judge rightly, so that they can fill their lives with right doctrine, so that they will be found pure when Christ returns. So our fight to be examples in purity in regards to doctrine begins with us knowing the word so that we can discern when something we're hearing is true or false. Accept what's true, throw out what's false, and that will contribute to our overall purity. And this cycle can repeat over and over again. You increase your knowledge, which then increases your ability to discern, which then increases your overall purity, which then you can increase in more knowledge, which will then increase your ability to discern even better, which contributes to an increase of your overall purity. Let's look at Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 11 to round out this, this portion of this point. Acts 17, verses 10 through 11. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas off to Berea. On arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The people here were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, since they welcomed the message with eagerness and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So Paul and Silas, they were in Thessalonica before they went to Berea, and the people rejected their preaching. The people in Thessalonica rejected their preaching. So then they went to go preach the gospel to the people in Berea. And these people went to the word of God themselves to make sure what they were preaching was legit and jived with scripture. 
Other translations describe the Berean people instead of, you know, in, in my translation it says that they're more open-minded. Other translations says that they were more noble-minded because they were open to listening, but they made sure to check what was being said against the scriptures. We must be noble-minded as well. So that's one aspect of purity and doctrine, so that we ourselves can be better equipped to discern between truth and lies. But another aspect of purity and doctrine that we'll discuss is found in Galatians. So let's, let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 6 through 9. I am amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to change the good news about the Messiah. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, I now say again, if anyone preaches to you a gospel contrary to what you received, a curse be on him. So what was going on here is that the believers in Galatia, they were being persuaded to believe that salvation came through works of the law, like doing things, doing the things that the law prescribes you to do. But Paul wanted to make it clear that that was a completely different message than what he was preaching to them, which was that you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And he wasn't just saying that that they were listening to a different gospel. He wasn't just saying, hey, that's a different gospel. But he was saying that the people who preach this different gospel, they ought to be cursed. They ought to be accursed, damned to hell. Even if it was him saying, even if I'm preaching this gospel, or even if it's an angel from heaven who's preaching a different gospel, the only thing that they're worthy of is being accursed to hell with you. That's how important purity in doctrine is. If you mess with the message of the Bible in any way, the only thing that should happen to you is to be accursed. In Deuteronomy, God warns the people not to add or take away from his words. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul tells the Corinthian church that they should not go beyond what is written. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says that if anyone adds to this book, plagues will be added to them. And if they take away from this book, then he will take them away from the inheritance of heaven. So in the, in the front, in the middle, and in the end of this book, God gives warnings not to add or take away from it, or else there will be serious consequences. So not only is it important to maintain purity and doctrine for the purpose of increasing our own overall purity, maintaining purity and doctrine will ensure that we ourselves do not become deceived and thus will be excluded from God's salvation plan. We need to make sure that our doctrine is pure. So I encourage all of you and all of us to be just like the Berean people in Acts 17. Search the scriptures. Search the scriptures so that you will know when you're being confronted with false doctrine. One of you was telling me last week, I won't point you out, but one of you was telling me last week that in one of your theology classes, 
that the teacher was saying that God is okay with homosexuality, that it is no longer something that is considered to be sinful. Now, how many of you here would know how to navigate this conversation? How to express biblical truth in a loving and compassionate way, but express why this perspective is incorrect from the Bible's perspective? question. There was a book that came out a few years ago. I won't say the title of it because it's garbage, uh, but the idea <laughs> was, that, was that no one goes to hell. No one goes to hell at the, at the end of the day, because at the end of the day, God's love will save everyone. God's love will conquer everything. And the position is that no matter how you live, no matter what you believe, no matter your perspective on God and the Bible, you will go to heaven because God's love will save everyone, no matter what. I ask, can you tell me what is wrong with this position biblically? Not just, well, no, it's not right. You know, can, can, you, can you point to something in Scripture? Can you tell me through the Bible why this position is wrong? Can you tell me how to lovingly and compassionately go about guiding somebody through the Bible verses that go against this position? Do you even see anything wrong with this position? It's just some questions that I want you guys to think about. If you don't see anything wrong with this position that I described, it's wrong, and the Bible's clear. We could talk about it after, but I just want you guys to think. Like, If you can't go through these conversations in your head, it's time to search the scriptures. It's time to get to know the word so that you can be able to talk about these things with people when this stuff comes at you. We must be clear on these things, this purity in doctrine, so that we can be an example to the believers in our purity. So now, let us move on to our, the final point of this entire exemplary series, the last point of this exemplary series, which is purity in life. Purity in life. And so the word that's used in 1 Timothy 4.12, where it says, uh, you know, be an example to the believers in purity, that word purity is the Greek word hognea. You know, it meant, it meant nothing to me when I saw it. I'm sure it means nothing to you, but that's just what it is, hognea. Um, but what it means, the definitions of this word hognea is purity, sinlessness of life, cleanliness, that is uh, specifically in regards to chastity, which is another word for abstinence, uh, purity in the sense of moral purity and proper sexual conduct. So what 1 Timothy 4.12 is saying in regards to this word, purity, be an example to the believers in sinlessness of life. Be an example to the believers in moral purity. Be an example to the believers in abstinence. Be an example to the believers in proper sexual conduct. So let's talk about these things. And rather than get into all of the incorrect ways of thinking about this topic of, of proper sexual conduct and abstinence, I just want to focus on the correct way of thinking about this. And you, some of you may remember when I went over this in our exemplary conduct message, but 
the only time, the only time that any kind of sexual activity is okay and blessed by God is in the context of a marriage commitment between one biological man and one biological woman where they have made a public display of their commitment to each other. That's it. That's the only kind of sexual conduct that is okay. One man, one woman, they are married, and they've made that commitment to be married to each other forever amongst witnesses. I remember there's, um, I know some people who they got married, but like they just said it to each other. Like there was, there's, that, that was it. Like, like, hey, you're my wife now. Okay, you're my husband now. But like, that was it. Like there's, there's I, I don't know. How does God feel about that? I don't know. I don't know. But it's, it just seems weird. There's, nobody knew. Was, anyway, anything outside of that, anything outside of a, of a marriage commitment, young man, young woman, old man, old woman, you need to keep your hands off of each other. Anything outside of a marriage commitment, you need to keep your hands off of each other. Do not allow yourself to go there. Don't go there. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13, and we're going to read verses 12 through 14. Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. The night is nearly over, and the daylight is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daylight, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy. So verse 12, it says, discard the deeds of darkness. And it says, put on the armor of light. In verse 14, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. Make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. I was speaking to a couple of you last week. I think it was the same people I was talking to about the theology class. Um, and I was recalling my, my younger days in the Lord, like when I first got saved, you know, like the first couple of months. And I was talking about how, how, how I would often f fall into sin. And, um, you know, I say, I say fall uh, because, you know, when you say I fell into sin, it implies that you had no intention of, of doing that. Um, but I fell into sin, meaning I, I basically had a roadmap in my mind of how it was going to go and how I was eventually going to end up there. First, you know, as, as, as nowadays as all of these things start, you start by going online. You turn on your computer. That's, that's, the, that's the way some of these things happen. So it would start off with me going online and searching for something innocuous, you know, just something very innocent. And then that would lead me to then search for, like, I would search this thing like, oh, that reminds me of this. Oh, let me search for that. Like, oh, oh, that reminds me of this. Let me search for that. And then it would get less and less innocuous as it progressed. And it would go on for a while until it, the, finally the road of, of searching for things would end up at a place where I was always planning to end up. You know, it was like a slow progression into gross sin that started innocent and ended up in full-on sin. 
And when I did end up there, at the place of full-on sin, I would have this like, how did I end up here? <laughs> type of thought in my head. But that's stupid. Like, of course, of course I knew. I, I had it planned out the whole time. I was still heavily involved in, in sexual sin at the time, and, and it was all planned. Of course I knew. But Romans 13, 14, it says, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans. Make no plans. I had it planned out in my head. Make no plans to satisfy the fleshly desires. And the words fleshly desires, it means a desire or a longing that is forbidden. It's a forbidden thing that you're wanting. Make no plans to satisfy any desires that are forbidden. That's what it says in Romans. But how do we accomplish this? How do, how do we do this? Well, by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. By putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. This literally means to dress yourself with Christ, to wrap Christ around you as if he is an article of clothing. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, they were naked at first, and they were unashamed. They had no reason to be ashamed. They were unaware of sins. They had no consciousness of sin because they were sinless. But when they did sin against God by eating the forbidden fruit, that's when their eyes were opened and the consciousness of sin entered their mind. And then they realized that they were naked and they became ashamed. And what God did was he killed some animals, he sacrificed some animals and put the skins of those animals to cover their nakedness, to cover their sin. So they were dressed they were dressed in the sacrifice that God had made for them. And in the Old Testament, a sacrifice always represents Jesus. It always represents Jesus. He was the sacrifice for our sins. So essentially, they dressed themselves in Jesus. And that's what we need to do. We need to dress ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ and make no plans to satisfy any desires that are forbidden. Jesus is the word that became flesh. So we need to dress ourselves in the word. Dress ourselves in the word. Dress ourselves with the Bible. Cover ourselves with the word, with the Bible. You keep that word fresh in your mind, and you'll be able to fight against your sin. You'll be able to fight against it. You'll be able to fight against those plans that you may have to satisfy those fleshly desires. But openly walking into situations that will put you at risk of falling into sexual sin, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. You know, part of my testimony of coming to Christ includes uh, a relationship. It, re it includes an ungodly relationship. I was 19 years old at the time, and the relationship that I was in, as I said, was completely ungodly, despite this person being a pastor's kid. Go figure. And... I knew that the relationship was bad. I knew that it was bad even before coming to Christ. Like, I just knew it was an awful, awful relationship. And I tried to get out of it many times, but I just couldn't for some reason. It was like I was trapped. One day, because of my mom, God bless that woman, I started going to church, and the Lord began to work on my heart to show me my need for him. I kept going to church, kept reading the word, and God saved me. Praise God, he saved me in that time. But I was still in this relationship, and I would, 
I would fall many times into sin, trapped, unable to end this relationship. But then one day, I decided that I had enough. It's like, I'm, I'm done grieving the Holy Spirit. I'm done. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep falling into sin. So I told this person that I'm going to follow Christ from this day forward. I'm following Christ. If you want to come with me, cool. If not, that's fine too. But that's where I'll be. Never heard from this person again. Just person just vanished out of my life. Just boom, gone one day there, make a stand, gone the next day. Don't know where, where this person went. I was, for a time, for a time, I was openly walking into situations where falling was basically a guarantee by staying in that relationship. I was basically walking into a situation where falling into sin was a guarantee. But I made a stand. I made a stand one day, and God blessed it. God blessed it. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18. Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? What agreement does Christ have with Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement does God's sanctuary have with idols? For we are the sanctuary of the living God. As God said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Don't be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? The word that is translated mismatched, do not be mismatched with unbelievers, it's a Greek word that means uh, to be yoked together. Now, uh, don't be yoked together with unbelievers, is basically what he's saying. Don't be yoked together with unbelievers. In our context, that might not make sense um, you know, what does it mean to be yoked? Is, is that an eggs, perhaps? I had it for breakfast. No, that's yolk, Y-O-L-K. Yolk is Y-O-K-E, yolk. Back in agricultural days, when they used to, you know, plow their fields, uh, they would use animals to plow and to loosen up the dirt. And they would place two animals inside of a yoke. So if, if you guys haven't seen it, you know, look up an image, but I'll try to explain it. It was, uh, it was like a primitive harness. And so it was like this stick. No, nothing here. So it was like a stick, like this, this vertical stick, and then there's like two loops on either side of the sticks, of the stick. So you got this stick, and then these two loops, and the animals' heads would go into those hoops, and so you know they would be right next to each other. And then these two animals that are yoked up, not not like yoked up, but like you know yoked up. <laughs> I mean, they're probably yoked up, you know, from pulling stuff. There you go. You know, just anyway, they were yoked up. Um, then they would pull this plow. You know, they would pull the plow together behind them, and they would, you know, would loosen up the dirt. But if you used uh, two animals that were uh, of different sizes or two different animals entirely, 
they would be unequally yoked and the plowing wouldn't get done right. You know, so one animal, like if, if, if they're unequally yoked, one animal, let's say one animal is larger than the other one, so you know, they're, they're unequally yoked, and then the larger animal who takes bigger steps is you know, taking bigger steps than this little animal who's taking littler steps. So while this one's taking big steps, it's basically kind of just starts going around in a circle around the one taking little steps because animals are dumb. They're not, they're not thinking like, oh, we gotta plow this field, so let me, oh no, let me, let me slow down for this guy. Yeah, no, like it's, they're just, I'm walking. I'm walking here, you know, and so he goes around. So basically the plow would go around in circles and uh, it, it wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be good plowing. You needed to make sure that your animals were equally yoked so that everything would work exactly how it's supposed to. The animals would be in sync. Bye, bye, bye. The animals would be working together instead of against each other because they're equally yoked. So when I was freshly saved and in that relationship, we were unequally yoked because I wanted to serve and follow Jesus, but she didn't, Although, even though she was a pastor's kid. I mean, she wanted a form of godliness in her life. You know, she would go to church on Sundays and all that, but she didn't actually want God. Jesus wasn't her passion. He wasn't her one desire. He wasn't her God. I wanted righteousness. She wanted lawlessness. I wanted to be light. She wanted to continue in darkness. I was about being God's holy temple. She was trying to be an idol's temple of prostitutes. All the while, she was claiming the name of Jesus and saying that she was a Christian. Like it says in 2 Timothy 3.5, she held to a form of godliness, but denied the actual power of God. And Paul says to avoid those people, avoid them, which is what I did. For the sake of Jesus and for the sake of my own relationship with him, I made a stand for purity, and that wasn't what she wanted, which is to say that she didn't actually want Jesus in her life. So homegirl left, never heard from her again. Praise God, hallelujah, good riddance. Don't care. But let's go back to Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. Deuteronomy 22. Now, this is one of those verses that we looked at earlier when we were talking about uh, purity and doctrine. And it shows us God's command for purity. And as you turn there, I just want to remind us of 2 Corinthians 6.14. 2 Corinthians 6.14 that says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship does light have with darkness? So let's read Deuteronomy 22, and we're going to read uh, verse 10. We're going to read verse 10, because that's the verse that relates to 2 Corinthians, where it says, do not be unequally yoked. Verse 10, do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey together. So, 2 Corinthians states not to be unequally yoked. And Deuteronomy says basically the same thing by telling us not to plow with, the, uh, what does it say? with an ox and a donkey. Do not plow with an ox and a donkey. 
the King James Version, I like that version better. I'm not going to say the word, but uh, <laughs> I like the King James sometimes. It's very childish of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, but so it needs to be said uh, that if you are a believer in Christ, if you sit here and you're a believer in Christ, you are no longer just a normal person. You're not just a normal person anymore. You're not like anyone else. If you're sitting here and you believe in Jesus and you're born again, the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. The Spirit of God dwells inside of you, and you are his holy temple. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. If you believe in Jesus, if you're born again, you have great strength inside of you. You are like an ox. I am like an ox. And as an ox, I was unequally yoked to a donkey. Or using King James language. And some of y'all out here are oxen too. You guys are oxen. And God wants to build you up. You're strong in the Lord. You're strong in the Lord. Others of you, maybe you're not like full-grown oxen. Maybe you're baby oxen. You know, you're just, you're just a little baby oxen. You're not quite, you're just, you're just getting started with Christ. You're a baby ox. And God wants to build you up and make you stronger. He wants to build you up and make you stronger. But if you are an ox, and maybe you're currently unequally yoked to a donkey, maybe it's time to set yourself free from the donkey so that God can build you up and bring you your ox counterparts after you've grown. Your ox counterparts, you're unequally yoked right now, your ox counterpart will come. You just need to get rid of the donkey first, if you have a donkey in your life. And your, your ox counterpart, it may be the donkey that you're currently attached to, but you first need to get rid of it so that God can work on the donkey and turn it into an ox. And then they'll bring the ox back. And now you'll be equally yoked. I got rid of my donkey that I was unequally yoked to. And then the Lord brought me my wife. He brought me my ox three years later. And then we didn't even get married until five years after that. That's eight years. It's kind of a long time. Eight years. Eight years from making a stand for purity, getting rid of the donkey, and then eight years until I finally was yoked up with my ox, with my wife. I'm sorry, I don't mean to call you an ox. <laughs> You're beautiful. <laughs> it's just, it goes with the imagery and everything. I'm, I'm, I'm going for something. I'm not calling you an ox. I love you. <laughs> and there's... I'm just going to stop. I have to buy her something now. <laughs> and, you know, there, there may be some of you here who are wondering, you know, where your spouse is. You know, when, when is your spouse coming? And I would just ask you, if, if you're one of those people that's wondering, like, where, when, when, is mine, when is mine coming? Well, I waited eight years. I waited eight years after I made the stand. So I would just ask, have you made a stand in your purity? Have you made a stand yet? 
Are you seeking the Lord with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind? Maybe God's waiting on you to make a full commitment to him first before he brings you somebody. God wants your heart first. He wants your heart first before he'll give you the desires of it because he wants to know that you won't forsake him. And obviously, he's God, so he already knows. So maybe he just wants you to know. He wants you to know if you're going to forsake him or not. You need to be married to Jesus first before you marry anybody else. You need to be fully committed. There's a, there's a couple who comes here. They're engaged. I won't say their names. But if they want to raise their hands or whatever, they can. But I won't say their names. They got engaged uh, in March of 2020. So March of last year, they got engaged. And then one month later, they broke off the engagement. So March 2020, engaged. Yay! April 2020, broke up. Aww. Now, they know the specific reasons as to why they broke off the engagement. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, the ultimate reason that they broke off the engagement was that Christ was not the center of their relationship, ultimately. And this is what caused all of those little specific things to happen in their relationship that caused them to break off the engagement. Christlessness, Christlessness was the disease that caused the symptoms that told them that they needed to break off the engagement and see what the real motivating factor for their relationship was. Was it Jesus or was it the desire to have a spouse? Was it Jesus or was it the desire to have a family? Was it Jesus or was it the desire to have permission to engage in sexual activity because, hey, now we're married? But they eventually got back together because they determined that God's glory is what they were both chasing after. God's glory is what they are both chasing after. Their desire is to glorify God by loving each other for life in spite of their own flaws and failures. And they're going about it in a pure way. So why do you want a relationship? Why, why do you want a relationship? Why do you want a spouse? Is it because you're lonely? Is it because you have this need to be loved? You have a desire to be desired? Or because you want to have somebody to go through life with? Maybe you feel like your clock is ticking? Jesus Christ is the answer to all of these things. You feel lonely? Jesus will always be with you. Man will let you down. Man will always let you down. Ask my wife. She will say, yes, man lets you down. But he, Jesus, will never leave you nor forsake you. You want to be loved? Need I say more than the cross? You want to be desired? God went as far as dying on that cross to show you how much he desires you. You want somebody to go through life with? You wouldn't even have life if it wasn't for Jesus. He is life. He is life. You were dead in your sins, and he made you alive. 
Maybe you think your clock is ticking. Well, what do you think Sarah was thinking when she was 100 years old and childless? 100 years old and childless. But then God showed up and said, hey, you're going to have a baby a year from now. And then it happened. Nothing is impossible for God. We just need to give ourselves fully to him so that he can start working in our lives. Excuse me. And I strongly encourage all of you, strongly, I strong, just based, based on experience, I strongly encourage all of you not to enter into any kind of relationship until you yourself are fully devoted and married to Jesus Christ. Fully devoted and married to Jesus Christ first. And I also strongly encourage any of you who are currently in a relationship to be extremely honest with yourself, just like that couple I was talking about. Be extremely honest with yourself and ask yourself if the relationship that you're in is building up your faith or hurting it. And I, I do hope that you're being brutally honest because if the relationship that you're in is hurting your walk in any way, it may be time to cut the donkey loose because you're unequally yoked. And it may be that you're the donkey and you need to cut yourself loose from the other person who's an ox because you're dragging them down. But let God work. Let God work. Either way, be honest with yourself because I can guarantee that if you are in an ungodly relationship, if you're in an unequally yoked relationship, if you're in a relationship that is unequally yoked, you are compromising your purity. You just, you just are. Maybe not necessarily sexually, probably, but not necessarily. It doesn't have to be that kind of sin that you're falling in. If you're unequally yoked, the two of you have two different aims. You have two different aims. The ox is trying to work. The donkey's over here being a donkey. You guys have two different aims. Different ideas of what it means to follow Jesus. That's where I found myself. And I had to make a decision. Maybe, maybe you have to make a decision. Maybe it's time for you to make a decision too. And that decision comes down to who do you value the most? Who do you value more? Is it Jesus or is it this other person? I mean, but if we're being completely honest, the decision is actually between Jesus and you. Who do you value more, Jesus or yourself? Because ultimately, you are the one you're seeking to satisfy if Jesus isn't the main focus. So this brings us to discussing the other definition of purity, which is uh, sinlessness of life or moral purity. Sinlessness of life or moral purity. And as, as you may have heard it said, we're never, ever going to be sinless. None of us are ever going to be sinless. But over time, we can sin less and sin less and sin less and sin less. If we continue to follow Jesus, read his word, pray, fellowship with other believers. And this sinlessness, sinlessness of life and moral purity is an active thing that we must engage in. Like, we've we got to work at it. It's not just going to happen. Purity doesn't just happen. You have to work at it. Romans 8.13 says that if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Putting to death the deeds of the body. Put to death the deeds of the body. Basically, we need to kill our sin. We need to murder our sin. We need to kill it. And one way to kill something is to starve it. One way to kill something is to starve it. 
This is why before my wife and I, before we watch anything like on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, we go to IMDb. You know that, what is it, internet movie database? We go to IMDb because on IMDb, they have what's called the parent's guide. And what it is is users on IMDb's site, they, they post stuff. So you click on the parent's guide for whatever show or movie you want to look up. And it lets th these people let you know, like, oh, in, in season two, episode three, you know, there's nudity or there's a sex scene or, you know, there's just, they, they, they break it down. People break stuff down. So anytime we want to watch something, we go to this website, we look at the parent's guide, and, you know, there, there have been many shows that have been hyped, you know, super hyped up, like, oh, man, people are saying a lot of good things about it. All right, let's go to IMDb and see what, it, what they say. Nudity, sex scenes, all that stuff. I guess we're not watching it. I guess we're not watching it, you know, because that stuff will cause any man to stumble. Any man to stumble, and I don't want that. I want to starve the sin in my life. I don't want to feed it. There was this band that I used to listen to. Their first album was amazing. I'm not going to say the band's name because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to throw stones, you know, but their first album was amazing. Second album for me, quality started to go down a little bit. By the third album, forget it. Like, they got woke. You know, a few good tracks, but mostly meh. Fourth album, seriously, to me, it just sounds like noise. Like, I don't know if I'm getting old. I hope not. But literally, just my wife and I try to listen to it, it just sounds like noise. And there was this one song where like it started out nice, and we're like, oh, this song's, this song's pretty good. But we're both like, the noise is coming. Like we could feel it. Sure enough, it got really noisy in the chorus, and it's like, oh, you guys are letting me down. But anyway, on their second album, they had this song. It was labeled explicit. And I thought like, oh, that's strange. Like a Christian band, a Christian artist, but one of their tracks is labeled explicit. Like, Two plus two is five? Like, that's weird. So I listened to the song. It's a good song. It's a great song. It's actually pretty amazing. It's powerful. But the dude decided to include the F word in the song. And I read or heard an interview. I think my wife told me about an interview she saw with him where he was, de he was defending his use of the word. He was saying that, you know, the song is, is very, it's a very deep and vulnerable song, which it was. And that, that that was the word that came out as he was expressing himself while he was writing this song. You know, that was just the word that naturally came out, you know. And, and I could see that. I could see that. You know, sometimes there are situations where things are so messed up or you're so broken that what comes out of your mouth is profanity. Sometimes that happens. You know, we're all imperfect, and, and, and it happens. But is it okay? Well, no. Biblically? We are, to avoid, we are to avoid coarse language because it's not suitable. No foul language is to come from our mouths. This is in Ephesians. This is in the Bible. And his argument against, this guy's argument against all the people that were coming at him, because people were coming at him, you know, like, for, for, for doing this. The argument that he was making is, he's like, well, if you had a brother or sister coming to you, they were broken, they were crying because of what's going on in their lives, they're expressing their pain, and they let a cuss word slip out. Like, are you going to stop them? And, you know, as they're broken and weeping, and be like, hey, bro, I don't think you should have used that word. Well, my answer is no, I wouldn't. I've been in situations where somebody is, is expressing their brokenness to me, and a cuss word slips out, and they're broken. Like, I'm not going to be like, hey, watch your mouth. Like, no, that's ridiculous. 
because it's a heat of the moment type of thing. We, we sometimes fail. We fail in the heat of the moment sometimes. However, if I notice the pattern of foul language, then most certainly, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. But hey, I've noticed that you, you kind of cuss a lot. Like, you really shouldn't be talking like that, you know, according to Ephesians, as a brother. But my response to that statement, you know, like, would, would you do this? In regards to this person, this guy who recorded this song, it's like, but when you recorded the song, like, you weren't in the heat of the moment anymore. Presumably, some time had passed from when you wrote the song and put the F word in there to you getting into the studio and recording it. You had time. You had time to change the word and choose purity, which he did. Like this person actually, they, they recorded two versions of the song, one with the clean word and one with the explicit word. Why? Like why? you already did the clean one. Just leave it. It's clean. Why not just record that one? For the sake of your witness, honor God with your lips. And I know the whole argument about like artistry and artistic expression, you know, and all of that. Like, no, it's my artistic expression. I don't remember reading an artistic expression clause in the Bible. If it's there, let me know. But I don't remember reading that. There's no clause where it's, you know, artistic expression. But how far are you, are you going to go in the name of artistic expression, though? Like, how far are we going to go? And I mean, it's, and it's, a, it's a genuine, it's a sincere question. Like, how far are we going to go? Because, you know, you have Roman statues. You go to Rome, there's statues of topless goddesses, right? You know, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't bother me. I don't want to look at it, but, you know, whatever. Modern art with nude models, you know, that's a little weird. Game of Thrones. I've never seen it, but I've heard some things about Game of Thrones that's basically like softcore porn. Like, there's just, like, gross nudity everywhere. How far does artistry go? How far are we going to go with artistic expression? Where's the line where we now cross into the lust of the flesh? Some lines are clear, other lines are fuzzy, but you know your own lines. You know your lines. You know which lines you can't cross. Ultimately, we're all going to stand before God and give an account for everything. Jesus said, every, every word that we speak, we're going to give an account for. I mean, even just in this message, I've said some things that were really dumb, and I'm going to be held accountable for that. Everything, everything we waste our time on, everything that we choose to do that pulled us further away from Christ and muddied up our purity, we're going to be held accountable for it. So we'll close with this. We'll close with Proverbs 25, verse 26. And after we go over this verse, I wanted to share something with you guys. Hopefully, hopefully it doesn't. And in tragedy. Proverbs 25, verse 26. It says that a righteous person who yields to the wicked, a righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. So springs and wells are water sources. These are places where you find water. And for the people during the times before, like, water purification and plumbing, like, this is where they went for water. If you found a spring or you found a well, like, dude, you found life because you need it. But if the spring was dirty or the well somehow got polluted, it was useless. It was useless at that point. There's no point in having, of even having the well or the spring because it's polluted. The thing that was supposed to give life and sustenance ends up being deadly to those who are exposed to it. 
Last week, I spoke about my mom who passed away two years ago, if you weren't here. Um, that's a thing that happened. Um, but as I was preparing this week's study, I was looking at some of my old text conversations with my mom. I still have them saved on my phone. I'm probably never going to delete them. But on August 4th, 2018, I was going like way back. August 4th, 2018, she sent me a text. And it said, ABEL, in all caps, my name in all caps, ABEL, your track 14 just convicted me. You probably need context for that. If you don't know, I used to write and rap quite a bit. I probably don't look it, but yeah, I used, I used, I used to be a rapper. I used, I used, you know, in my younger days. And I did it enough to put out a mixtape. I put out a mixtape. And that's what she was talking about. I had given her this mixtape, and, and this was like years after I even put it out. Like, I put it out like in, I don't know, like 2012. Like, so you guys know what throwbacks are? Like, it's like jerseys that are from the past. So this is how old this mixtape was. Um, I, had this, I had this verse where, <laughs> it's silly. Um, I said, you know, because I, I had this line where it says, I was ahead of my time, right? I was ahead of my time. So if I wanted to say that now, I would say, I was ahead of my time, like 2050 throwbacks. So like, we're not in 2050 yet, so there's no such thing as a throwback, but I'm so ahead of my time that I'm like a, I'm like a throwback from 2050. So, but the, the line in the song says, um, uh, I was ahead of my time, like 2020 throwbacks. So this was like years ago when I, when I dropped this mixtape. Anyway, um, I put out this mixtape. Years later, my mom just randomly sends me this text, like this track 14 convicted me. So I, I went back and listened to it. And I was like, oh, snap, like this is kind of relevant to what we're talking about this week. And so I'm going to share it with you guys. No beat, no another, just going to be acapella. Um, so be kind. And I mean, and, and if a hip hop track, uh, you know, from a dope MC could speak to a 60 year old woman, you know, maybe, maybe it could speak to, maybe it could speak to us. So, all right, stop. (laughs) What did I call this song? I forget what I called it. Uh, Whatever. It doesn't matter. All right, so here it goes. All right. Alert the troops. There's been a war declaration. It didn't start with me. Battle's been going on for ages. Many lost, many found. Just take a look around. There's way too many folks who have never heard the sound of a holy God sitting on his throne. Glory all around, and the sin of man resounds. Man deserves death, annihilation to the ground. But where sin abides, even more grace will abound. And what's the image they get when they take a look at us? A bunch of holy hypocrites looking down, making the fuss. A sore sight for blind eyes, our lives need to adjust. Our lips praise, but through our acts, we deny the God we trust. Just take a look at yourself and tell me all you see. Pride, lust, love only for self, idolatry. All men are born in the dark and they need the light to see that they're cuffed to sin, but Christ has the key. We gotta keep it moving, we can't become complacent. Because the Father's will is our sanctification. Gotta be a light with the word and supplication. Because sin's at the door and is patiently waiting. If sins are in your way, dog, it's time to dead them. If Satan's got you bugging, it's time to behead them. With that Hebrews 4.12, that's the only way you'll get them. The prowling lion turns to a kitty cat. Let the living water wet them. 
you'll get the win. I'm willing to wager major bucks because these pages slice deep and I ain't talking paper cuts. How you supposed to swing a sword and you know how to hold it? How you supposed to spread the word and you don't know how to quote it? Jesus said, abide in him and he'll abide in you. And by abiding in him, his word will be abiding too. And by his word abiding, God's glorified, you're providing fruit. Disciples abide in the vine, being refined, your life's the proof. So stick with the king, cling to his declarations at all times, not just through trials and desperation. Jesus warned about branches without vegetation. They get chopped off, next stop, incineration. We got to keep it moving. We can't become complacent because the Father's will is our sanctification. Got to be a light with the word and supplication because sin's at the door and it's patiently waiting. Now listen close as I present this scenario. You're lost in the desert. You don't know where to go. You pause. You see a well that may contain fluid. Might be a mirage, but you're willing to race to it. As you run, your throat dries. You start coughing because the drought. You can make yourself a shirt with all the cotton in your mouth. Your legs fail as you fall into your hands. Each move you make is harder as you sink into the sand. Your body wants to quit. The sun's blasting you with light. But you know this well is your only chance at life. You make it to the well. Another problem comes about. You barely find the strength to pull some of it out. But you manage to get it. You put the bucket to your lips. But the water looks like sewage and it stinks worse than piss. You cry out. Weep bitterly to your father. You know you'll die quick if you sip that filthy water. So take heed. Proverbs 25 verse 26, it says... We're exactly like that well when we yield to wickedness. So be alert. The enemy seeks to shoot you, and your witness means nothing when you let the world pollute you. So be alert. The enemy seeks to shoot you, and your witness means nothing when you let the world pollute you. So be alert. The enemy seeks to shoot you, and your witness means nothing when you let the world pollute you. So, guys, we have to maintain our purity. You know, we, we want to be a witness. We want to be Christians. We want to be used of God. We want to do these things. But if you, if you yield to wickedness, if you allow sin to be cultivated in your heart, if you openly enter into things that are going to bring sin, that destroys your purity it destroys your purity and you're just like a polluted well. Instead of bringing life to people, you're bringing death. Because if anybody tries to drink the water that comes out of your spring, it's polluted with sin and it's gonna kill them. It's not gonna benefit them. So you guys, we need to maintain our purity in all aspects. It's interesting that purity is the last thing that's mentioned in 1 Timothy 4.12 because it kind of encompasses everything. If you're, not, if you're not pure in your speech, then you can't be an example. If you're not pure in your conduct, then you can't be an example. If you're not pure in your love, then you can't be an example. If you're not pure in your faith, you can't be an example. And if you're not pure in your purity, you can't be an example. But 1 Timothy 4.12 says, let no one despise your youth. Instead, be an example to the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Purity kind of rounds out the whole thing. So just dwell on these things as we sing our last songs to Jesus. We're going to have our leaders up here. 
if this message spoke to you in any way and you feel like you need to deal with something and you need somebody to pray for you, uh, if you are a lady, uh, we have Alicia here, and Kelly will be making her way down. And uh, if you're a guy and you need prayer, we have Tony over here and Ronald over here, and also me, I'm here. Um, but yeah, get prayer uh, because, man, we got to be an example to the believers. It doesn't matter what our age is. We could be an example. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, bringing us all here and for speaking your message into our lives. I pray that you would help us to meditate on these things and to be changed, to be different. And I pray that these songs that we sing to you would be acceptable, that it would be just a, a sweet-smelling aroma. And so I thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.